0: You're listening to the Scotts Hill Podcast, which features our Sunday sermons. If you would like to learn more about what God is doing in the life of Scotts Hill Baptist Church, visit our website at scottshill.org. Enjoy and be challenged by the word of the Lord. Great to see all of you here. What a packed house today as we're beginning a new year. And those of you who are joining us online, we're so grateful that you're able to join us as well, inviting us into your home. If you are a first time guest here, my name is Phil Ortigo. I serve as a senior pastor here. We're so glad that you're here. And as we're beginning our new year together, it's exciting to see the house of God packed to overflowing. We have very little room left in this place. We also have a second service after this and one in the cross point center. So we have three services on Sunday morning for those of you who may not be aware of that. And as we're beginning this new year, I know that a lot of you have just coming off of your vacation time. You've coming off of disrupted schedules. Some things have changed and you're looking back to the routines. How many of you are just ready to get back to routines? How many of you are tired of eating Christmas food? How many of you are tired of the leftover fruitcakes? I even got one this morning. Somebody gave me a fruitcake this morning. I said, I may not eat it, but I may re-gift it to someone else next year. So we came back off a vacation, and we brought from Gatlinburg with us our two grandkids. Hudson, who was, is four years old, and Hadley, who's two. And so they came back with us on last Saturday, and then we had them all week. And man, I tell you what, it is an incredible, joyful thing that our grandkids were with us without their parents. Made it even better. And, uh, and as we're with them and, and, and just engaging them, one of the most joyful things for me is every day when I drive into the driveway coming home from work, they would run out of the house in the driveway and scream, Pops is home, Pops is home. And I I was able to embrace that every day for that whole week. Um, And then their parents came Thursday night and they all left last night. And this morning I woke up and I was thinking, the grandkids are home. The grandkids are home. I love being with them, but every time they come, they bring me a gift. They're little Petri dishes. And I'm about to lose my voice from congestion and all of that. So pray for me this morning as I've got to do a lot of preaching and a lot of speaking. And by the end of this day, I may have no voice at all. But we're glad that you've chosen as we begin this new year together, seeking to follow Christ with all of our heart as a body, as a faith family. And I just want to remind you that at Scotts Hill, we, we hold to seven core values that we believe are vitally important for the Lord to transform our lives through these. These seven core values are really just simply seven spiritual disciplines, the formation of the Christian life. And everything we do at Scotts Hill is built around these seven spiritual disciplines. Let me remind you of what they are. We study his word. That's what we're doing this morning. We don't study magazines. We don't study just what culture says. We study God's word. Secondly, we grow in discipleship. Our goal at Scotts Hill is that every member and every regular attender would be involved in a small group as we grow together in discipleship and do life together. We engage in worship. That's what we're doing this morning. But we're to do it privately and we're to do it publicly together. We seek God in prayer. We regularly seek the heart and the wisdom of the Father in all that we do. We love others through service. We're called to serve one another. We live on mission. We adopt the mindset of a missionary everywhere we go, on the job, in the marketplace, at school, no matter what we do. And we give with generosity. Generosity we give based upon the grace of God that's in our lives. Now here's what we believe. We believe that if we live according to these spiritual disciplines and we allow the spirit of God to do his work in us, he will transform us more and more into the image of Jesus. We believe that God's heart for his children is that everyone without exception would live a life that's full of the riches of Christ and the fullness of God. That we would be able to live and experience a a very abundant life in Jesus Christ. In fact, when you read through the pages of the New Testament, that is the expectation and the hope for every child of God that we would be free to live in the fullness and the power and the joy of Christ. Paul, in writing to the Ephesian believers, in chapter 3, verses 14 through 19, he says this, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. And he goes on. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And then in chapter four, verse 13 he reiterates it again. Until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's the heart of the Father for his children. Is that we would live in this kind of incredible freedom. But if you, if, if you evaluate the lives of most believers in America today... We're not experiencing this. Rather than living in the fullness of God, many believers are living in the frustration of their own lives. Rather than walking in the delight of his grace, many believers are walking in the drudgery of life. Rather than walking in the peace that surpasses all understanding, many believers today are walking under pressures that are bringing them down. And instead of living in the fullness and the freedom and the strength of God, what we end up finding ourselves doing is being away from the freedom and the joy and the power. A lot of times I think that believers today are living like that circus elephant. Circus elephants are interesting. They will take a full-grown circus elephant They will chain that circus elephant to a two-foot, two-inch diameter stake. And they will drive that stake in the ground only about a foot or a foot and a half. And this full-grown elephant is chained with a three-foot chain to that tiny stake in the ground. And yet that elephant will not try to pull himself free. That elephant is enslaved to that metal stake. And that elephant has the full power, the strength, simply with one leg to be able to pull the stake out of the ground and to be freed from that restraint. But he won't do it. And here's why he won't do it. When he was a baby, he was chained to that same stake. And that stake was driven in the ground. And that little elephant would pull and he would tug. He would keep working at trying to get himself free. He would even dig the restraints into his leg and it would bleed. And he would do this every day for hours upon hours. And then in the mind of that little elephant, he becomes to understand that there's no way I can break free from that restraint. And so he's enslaved. And when he grows up and when he's an adult, What is in his mind is the memory of the inability to break free from that stake so he lives his life enslaved. And what happens a lot of times in believers' lives, there are restraints that come in our lives. And those restraints will hold us back. And even though we have the full power by the Spirit of God and the Word of God and the presence of Christ in our lives, what we end up doing is we succumb to the slavery of a restraint Instead of breaking free. Matter of fact, the writer of Hebrews speaks about this. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, he says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the the throne of God. There are at least four things we see right in here. Number one, there are restraints in our lives. Every one of us, without exception, there are restraints that will keep us enslaved. Secondly, we see that we have the ability to lay those aside, We have the ability to make a choice to identify and to lay aside the restraints in our lives. Thirdly, we see that there are races that are given for us to run individually. And fourthly, there's a person that we look to to overcome these restraints. His name is Jesus. And as we look to him we have the endurance and we have the power to be able to come overcome restraints. We're starting a new series today called Unleashed. Unleashed, the tagline is breaking free from the restraints that keep us from a rich and a full life in Jesus. And as we begin this series today, what we wanted to do was to identify some of the key restraints in the lives of believers. And as we looked at some of the most common restraints in our modern day world, our content delivery team came up with four specific restraints that we believe are keeping us today from this rich and this full life in Jesus Christ. Next week, we're going to look at the restraint of laying aside the restraint of unforgiveness. Unforgiveness is a horrible restraint, and it keeps people from walking into joy in the forgiveness of Christ. In week three, we're going to lay, look at laying aside the restraint of entitlements. Do we live in a culture of entitlement or what? And so many people have this sense of entitlement. We're going to see what God's word has to say about that and how to lay aside that restraint. In week four, we're going to look at laying aside the restraint of unbelief and how unbelief can keep us from the very blessings and the incredible life that God has for us in Christ. So you're wondering, what what are we going to look at today? Today, we're going to look at a restraint that is so common in our culture and so deadly among believers. And here's what it is. It's the restraint of comparison. And the restraint of comparison is something that has plagued God's people for centuries. And comparison is one of those restraints that really is one that, that has hit us in our modern day life particularly when you look at social media, when you look at TikTok, when you look at Instagram, when you look at Facebook, we are inundated constantly by images that tell us how to live, what to drive, where to live, who our friends should be, what our body type should look like, what we should do with our spare time, how we should spend our money. And all of these issues of comparison, we are bombarded with. But it's nothing new. You see, this goes before there were smartphones and even before the internet. We find comparison in the Garden of Eden. When God created Adam and Eve, Satan comes along and what does he do? He begins to get them to compare themselves to God and he shows them what they're missing. And if you would just eat of this tree, you would be like God. You know, it's interesting, the person that worked for Facebook that created the like button says that he wishes he never would have made that button because it has created, particularly in young teenage girls, depression and anxiety because people don't give them enough likes. So here's what I want to do with the remainder of the time we have. I want to show you three reasons that comparison is bad. And I want to show you how to kill comparison in your life and how to pull that stake and that restraint of comparison up that you would be free to live as the person God designed you to be. So where do we go? Take your Bibles, open to 1 Samuel. It's the ninth book in the Old Testament. 1 Samuel chapter 8. And as you're turning there, 1 Samuel chapter 8, beginning in verse 4, let me give you a little background of this. The people of Israel had been delivered by God, taking out of Egypt, going through the promised land, and God had given them judges to oversee them and help rule them. But God also uses prophets, and Samuel was one of the premier prophets of Israel, He was the mouthpiece of God for the people, but he was also the priest that represented the people before Almighty God. And Samuel was an incredible prophet, but Samuel's getting old. And Samuel's sons do not honor God. They're not following the ways of God. In fact, they're pretty worthless men. And the people of Israel are kind of looking around at the other nations And they don't trust the sons of Samuel. So what do they do? They come to Samuel with a request. And in this request, we see what is driving it is this sense of comparison that leads them down a road of destruction. So in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 4, the elders of Israel gathered together and they came to Samuel at Ramah. And said to him, Behold, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. All of a sudden, they wanted to be like the other nations. Now this is amazing because their king is the king of the universe. Their king is the creator of all things. Israel was uniquely different from all the nations of the earth. They were a theocracy, which means that God himself is the king of them. It is God himself who birthed them. It is God himself who brought them out of Egypt. It is God himself who sustained them for 40 years in the wilderness. It is God himself who brought them into the promised land. It is God himself who did their battles for them and destroyed the nations before them. God is the one who brought them to the place that they are, and they have a king who is an undefeated, undisputed king of kings of the universe. And they were called to be the envy of the nations. Now, here's what's interesting. All the nations looking at Israel were afraid of them. They envied Israel. They saw their strength. They saw their power. They saw the miraculous signs of Almighty God working in their life. And what did they do? They still wanted to be like the nations. They were disgruntled. They were unhappy because all the other nations had kings who would rule over them. And they wanted it. And as a result, They became unhappy and disgruntled because they were not like everyone else. Here's the first problem with comparison Comparison robs us of our joy. Have you noticed that? How comparison robs you of your joy? That you're happy with your house until you see that new house. You're happy with that car you drove off the lot until a couple of years later, there's a nicer car. Or you're happy with your lifestyle until you watch somebody on Instagram's lifestyle different than yours. You're happy with all of these kinds of things, but then what happens is as you begin to inspect what other people have, you begin to lose your joy, the grace and the goodness of God in your life and all the provision that he has made for you you begin to lose sight of it. And the sad thing is we begin to lose our joy. What's interesting is that some sociologists began to following all the situations that are taking place on Facebook, and they, they, they looked at the issue of comparison, and without exception, every one of them agreed to the finding. Here's the finding. When people compare themselves to what they see on social media, They find themselves trying to meet unrealistic expectations, leading to increased self-doubt, body image insecurity, and more likely to experience feelings of envy, regret, guilt, and defensiveness. While social media is making us digitally connected, comparison is preventing us from what brings true happiness. We do that all the time, don't we? And here's the sad thing. We as believers have been given so much grace and blessings from Almighty God, and then we start to look at the world and we want to be like them. And then then what happens is sometimes we even compare our lives to other believers, don't we? Oh, I wish I had their gifts. Oh, I wish I had their talents. Why can't I have it as easy as them? And we begin to compare our children to other people's children. We compare our grandchildren to other people's grandchildren. We compare our spouses to other people's spouses. We compare our blessings or our sufferings or our struggles. And you know what every bit of that leads us to? Unhappiness. Because we lose sight of the incredible blessings that we have from God himself. And I want to tell you, ministers are not exempt from this because we can look at the ministries of other churches and wish we had what they had. Or if all those people were just like, if we could have people like that, if my youth group can be like that, if my college group can be like that, if our church would only give like that, if we only had buildings like that, and then what happens is we miss the blessings that God has right before us now. See, comparison is bad, and here's why it's bad. When I compare my life to others, I come to believe that a life that is rich and full in Christ is for others but not for me. And we lose sight of where God has us in his blessings now. So comparison robs us of our joy. But let me tell you the second reason comparison is bad. Comparison negatively impacts relationships. Here's the incredible thing. It negatively impacts the relationships of people around us because while I might compare myself to other people, I might feel inferior, but I might not like them because of where they are, and then it impacts negatively relationships. Now, the people are told uh, or go to Samuel and tell him this, and then Samuel responds in this way, and we see that there are two ways that this impacts relationships here's what Samuel says but the thing displays Samuel and when they said give us a king to judge us and Samuel prayed to the Lord and the Lord said to Samuel obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you for they have not rejected you but they have rejected me from being king over them now, there are two ways that this impacts relationships. Number one, obviously, it impacts negatively our relationship with God. When you and I are in the business of comparing our lives with other people in other uh, um, nations, then we impact our relationship with God negatively. What does God say to them? They have rejected me, Samuel. I'm the one that chose them. I'm the one that created them as a nation, I'm the one that raised them up as the greatest nation in the world. I'm the one that gave them the right to be the image bearers. I'm the one that called them to be the examples and the envy of the world. The world should be looking at them instead of them looking at the world. And when they go to the world, they have rejected me and it grieves my heart. The same is true as a believer. In Christ, we were apart from Christ, we were enemies. We were dead in our sin. God is the one by his grace who raised us up into life in Christ. He's the one who's put his spirit within us. He's given us his word. He's adopted as his sons and daughters. He says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You are to be rivers of living waters. And when you run after the world to want to be like them, you have grieved my heart because what I've made you for is something greater than what the world could ever dream. Paul writes this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Believers, listen carefully. The world should want to be like us. What do we gain by wanting to be like the world? What do we gain by wanting to be like movie stars? What do we gain by wanting to be like the rich and the famous? Nothing. We should be living our lives in such a way that the world sees the incredible joy and the fullness that's in us and that they should come running and say, wow, these people have it. That's what I'm missing. That's what I need. And when we run after the world and the things of it, it grieves the heart of the Father who created us to be distinctively different from the culture. But not only does it negatively impact our relationship with God, but it can also impact our relationship with others. You see, what happens is comparison goes two ways. It is either from the bottom up or from the top down. From the bottom up, it's like I compare myself with others and I feel inferior. Or if it's from the top down, I compare myself with others and I feel superior. And what the people do at this point is they compare themselves not only with the world standards and reject God, but now they're speaking down to Samuel. They also reject Samuel. Here's what happens according to all the deeds that they have done. From the day I brought them out of Egypt, God is saying, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Samuel, they not only rejected me, but they're rejecting you. They're rejecting the instruction that I'm giving to you for their good. And they're walking away thinking that they are wiser than you and that they have enlightenment and they don't need to listen to you anymore. So they rejected the instruction of God's word and God's voice. So this is a terrible thing. Like I said, when it comes to comparison, I can feel inferior or I can feel superior. In this case, they're feeling superior. Jesus even speaks of this. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 18, he's telling the story of the Pharisee and the tax gatherer. And here's what he says. Two men went into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, and even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. This is a man that's comparing himself with people that were below him. And what does he do? He develops a self-righteous, pious attitude that destroys the relationships with people around him. The Pharisee should be the spiritual leader helping those sinners. But now what does he do? He uses them as a prop to support his own self-righteousness. Dear church, listen, may we never use the broken and the falling of our culture to prop up our self-righteousness. Because if it was not for the grace of God, we would be right there with them. And we cannot judge others to make ourselves feel better. And when we begin to compare ourselves to those below us, what we do is no different than what the Pharisee did. You know, the Pharisee compared himself with people below him. The only one that walked away righteous in this situation was a tax gatherer because he compared himself to the holiness of God. And when we do that, we understand the reality of who we are and who God is. So what happens is, whenever we compare, whenever we're playing the game of comparison, it robs us of our joy. It negatively impacts relationships in our lives. And here's the third problem with it. Comparison creates a false sense of reality. It's a false sense of reality. We want to compare ourselves to other people. and We think that if we can achieve that, then we will be happy. If we can achieve that, then we'll be successful. If we can achieve that, then we'll be significant. That's what the people of Israel did. After they requested this, God told Samuel, go ahead and give them a king, but warn them. Tell them that the king will take their sons and put them in battle. That the king will take their daughters and make them cooks and slaves. That the king will take their land for himself. He will take their products and their produce. He will take their animals. He will take their servants and he will judge them harshly. And when they criticize him and come to me because of the unjust nature of their kings, I will not listen to them. God warns them and what do the people say? But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, no, that won't happen but there shall be a king over us that we may also be like all the nations that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. Our king is gonna be a good king. So God gives him. First king comes along Saul. You remember Saul? He was the most handsome of all the men, taller than all the men. He was a jealous, rebellious, given prone Fits of rage and demonic oppression, and God removed him as king and rejected him. And then there were some good kings David, Solomon, Asa, Josiah, Jeroboam, but the vast majority of the kings of Israel led them away from God, led them into idolatry was ruthless towards their own people, and ultimately led them into exile by other nations that they wanted to be like. So when you compare, the reality is never really there. The apostle Paul writes about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. He says, not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. They chase the wind. They never fulfill what their heart's desire is. And it leads them down a path of destruction. So when you compare, it robs you of your joy. It destroys the relationships of your life with God and with others. And as a child of God, when we compare, we end up following a false reality that will never please the heart of God. So the question is, how do we kill comparison? How do we kill comparison? It's real simple. Let's go back to the verse of Hebrews. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. I'm gonna give you two ways to kill comparison in your life. Number one, here it is. Run the race that God has for you. Run the race that God has for you. The tendency is always wanting to run somebody else's race. And I love the way he puts it here. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. As believers, there is a common race. We are running toward the upward call of Christ Jesus. We are running to him. But let me tell you, each of us has different lanes. The race that God has for you may not be the same race that he has for me. The race that he has for the person sitting next to you may not be the same race that he has for you. And every one of us has been given a different race. When I ran track in high school, there were certain races that you had to stay in your lane. If you got out of your lane, you were disqualified. In the Christian life, God gives us a race to run. And sometimes we want to run somebody else's race. We look at it and we think they've got it easy. I want that. Why do I have to go through this trial? Why do I have to go through this difficulty? Why do I have to face all of these struggles and pain and hurt? And God in his wisdom knows what he's doing in the race that he has given to you. Run your race. And your race is not my race. And my race is not your race. So it means that we need to understand the will of God in our life. And this is the race that God has given to me. I'm going to run it with endurance. I'm going to run it all the way into eternity because this is what God has for me. And I want to be the person that God has created me to be. And I don't have to compare my life with you. Now, let me say this. There's a fine line between being inspired by somebody and comparing my life to somebody. As we run this race, we can inspire one another. We can spur one another on. We can encourage one another. And we are called to do that as believers in Christ. But as we run this race together, we may run different paths. And that is completely okay as long as I am staying in the lane that God has called me to be. Run your race and the race that God has called you to. Here's the second thing. Look to Jesus as your standard. This is huge. This is huge. As you run your race in this life, Jesus is your standard. Not the world Jesus is your standard for holiness and purity and righteousness and joy and peace and all of the fruit of the spirit that we see modeled in his life. We're to run according to his character, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. He ran his race faithfully before the father, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Run, your race looking at Jesus, looking to him. He's the one, is the founder of your faith. He's the one who will perfect your faith as you journey towards him. He is the one that will give you the endurance to bear up under any difficulties that are in your life. And as you constantly look to him and not the things of the world, not what your neighbor has, but what he has to offer to you, I can promise you there will be contentment. There will be joy. There will be power. There will be peace because your eyes are fixed on him and on him alone. Believers, Some of you today are at the stake of comparison. And you have the power and the ability to break free from it today. Some of you have been looking at the lives of other people so much that there's no joy and there's no peace and there's no freedom in your life. And the Lord is calling you today to release yourself from that restraint. Let me tell you something. There's some things Jesus will do for us. And there's some things he requires us to do. For instance, he went to the cross. He's the only one who can die for our sins. He redeemed us through his blood. He satisfied the wrath of God so we can have the grace of God. He rose from the dead. He gave us his spirit. We are sealed with the spirit of God. We have all of these promises, but yet there's certain things we are called to do in Scripture by taking off filthy garments and identifying and putting to death sin in our life. And what the Lord is calling us to do is to pull up the restraints of comparison. Teenagers, listen to me. Jesus is your model, not the world. College students, listen to me. Jesus is your example of wisdom and truth. Parents, listen to me, Jesus is the example of how you raise your children and how you pour into them, not the things of the world. Grandparents, Jesus is the answer for eternity, and he's the answer for you today, and he's the answer for your grandchildren. He is the author and the perfecter of your faith. Do not get trapped into the the temptation of comparison, because it will not lead you to freedom in Christ. This morning, if you're a believer, Would you submit today, just afresh as you go into this new year, that Jesus, I will look to you. You are my model. You are my standard. And I will follow you. And if you're not a believer today, my friend, let me have you consider Christ, who knows you intimately, who died for you, and that you would consider surrendering your life to him. Break free from the restraint of comparison and walk in the goodness and the freedom and the joy of Christ. Would you join us, we pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you, Father, that your word is always relevant to where we are, that we do not have to make your word relevant. Father, it is our job to demonstrate the relevancy of your word in our day. And Father, as you are speaking and encouraging us in these areas of restraints, I pray, Father, that we would be broken free from comparison. And Father, we would look only to your word and we would look to the Lord Jesus, who is the perfect example for all of life. But more than an example, he is our Savior, he is our Lord. He is your risen Son. And Father, as we turn our attention to him this year, may we walk in such a way that we would be filled with the riches of your grace and the fullness of your presence. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening, and we hope that God uses this message in you to transform you more into the image of Christ. If you have any questions about our church or you want to learn more about Jesus, visit our website at scottshill.org slash steps Till next time.